Well, ladies, I'm so happy to be back with you again. I've missed you. I missed you last week, but some of you were with me down in Orange County for the National Gathering. If you have never been to one of those events where our friends that are part of our eco-evangelical covenant order of Presbyterians gathers, it's an awesome experience. Imagine singing in a choir accompanied by an orchestra, but a choir of more than 2,000 voices. It's just the, the sound of it was incredible. Just a little foretaste of, of good things to come. Now, this week's lesson is one that starts with a very, I, I don't know if your Bible has subtitles in it, but a lot of Bibles do. And if you looked at Romans 4, you saw a subtitle over this section of the book of Romans, and it's a big fat theological term called justification. Now that is not something that's easily understood. It's not a word we use every day in the English language. It's not a concept that immediately brings a picture to your mind. At least that's true for most of us. So I want to break that whole topic down into much more simple to understand pieces today. But if you think it's simple to understand, you don't understand it. <laughs> this is one of the most complex topics in all of life. And I won't even just say in New Testament times in the Christian world, this goes back to times before Christ. So I want to talk about the very first verse for a moment, because there are two wonderful things about it. First of all, it's a question. And I love to lead off any conversation, any discussion. Back when I was teaching college students, I loved leading off the class with a question. Why? Because questions engage you, engage your mind. They make you think. But there's another word in this verse that I absolutely love. It's the word discovered. Paul says, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? This matter of this thing called justification that you learned about from chapter three. Sorry, I couldn't be here for the lesson last week. Okay, so discovery is probably the most significant part or, or way of learning and retaining something. When you discover something, you don't forget it. It's yours. You keep it. That's the most significant step of learning is to open up to a new discovery. Um, I have to say, my husband has the privilege of having discovered two quasars. Now, don't ask me to explain what those are. Those are quasi-stellar objects at the very, very farthest reaches of our universe. 
and the farthest back in time. Now, the James Webb Telescope takes us even farther back in time, so we're seeing even more about the early days of the universe through that telescope. So that's exciting. But you know what? I don't care what you say to Hugh about those two quasars. He will never be able to be talked out of them. He discovered them. They were there. So I'm glad to say that in preparing for this lesson today, I made two discoveries. And I want you to make some discoveries with me this morning. And I want to share those discoveries with you. But I want God to do something. My words can do nothing. In fact, the words, the wasted words, I just ask him to burn up, burn it up. Don't let him even remember any wasted words, but I want him to speak to you this morning about a concept that is so significant, it changes everything about your life. It changes everything about my life. One of my discoveries was a fresh understanding that the gospel of the Old Testament is the exact same gospel of the New Testament. They're not different. The Old Testament salvation came by faith, by grace of God, not by the law. And we know that's true in the New Testament because we see how that played itself out in the life and death and resurrection of Christ. But the promise that God made to Abraham was a promise that he absolutely didn't deserve, didn't do anything for. I mean, think about this. He promised Abraham what? What did he promise him? Think about the glorious promise he made. He made him the promise that the entire world, all of humanity ever to exist, would be blessed through him. Now, blessed is a weak word today when we think about, I'm so blessed to have won this football game. You know, I, that's, that's great. I, I, that is a blessing and it's an excitement. But the blessing that God speaks about when he talks to Abraham, if you reread it, by the way, he had to reiterate it multiple times to Abraham for him to get it because it was too good to be true. He promised him eternal relationship in the presence of God with a family now we, we, I mean, we sang about love this morning and the importance of love. How do you first experience love? How do you go on experiencing love through relationship? Typically, it's through family. Now, some families are broken and, and the love doesn't flow the way it should. But this is the family that God is promising Abraham. He said, you're going to be the father of a family so big you can't even count the members of that family. And you will be blessed spiritually, physically, every way enriched in an everlasting way. So he's been promised something 
that is unimaginable, the perfect family, a huge family in the presence of God for all eternity without any darkness, despair, hopelessness, sin, any of it. He's promised him something so big that Abraham must have gone, huh? Huh? Do we understand what we've been promised? Do we get it? Think about it. One thing we don't do enough is talk about what God has in store for us. In fact, because I came to Christ as a child, I used to struggle a little bit to think about heaven and that promise. What what has God promised me? I know what he's promised me for this life, but his promise goes way beyond this life, way beyond even the earth as we know it. It's bigger than that. It's more than that. So I used to think, okay, the, the thing that made me want to go to heaven was not uh, clouds and music, although I loved music, but I couldn't imagine singing the same song all day, every day for eternity. And I could not envision floating around on clouds, although it sounded like fun. I mean, let's face it, it's pretty cool. But uh, I knew the thing that I looked forward to was being in the presence of Jesus, because I had a little taste of that. How? Through the people I knew who walked most closely with Jesus. From them, I I knew how I felt when I was with them. I felt seen. I felt understood. I felt accepted, valued. All those things came through just a taste of those things. Not perfect, obviously. A lot of unmet affirmation and all those things, but I got enough of a taste to go, if that's eternity, I want that. And I've been promised that. And we used to play a a game with our, our sons. I think I may have mentioned this to you one time when I was speaking, but we used to play a game with our boys called heaven is better than because we, I wanted them to anticipate something so good that it reached beyond their imagination. So we had some fun. And I encourage you to do that with your kids or your grandkids or nieces or nephews or whatever. Try to get them to describe what would be the most amazing place they could ever experience and what it would be like. And just, yeah. Great, but you know what? What God has planned for us is even better than that. Believe it. Get excited about it. Okay, so this promise was made to a man. He wasn't even named Abraham yet. His name was Abram. And you know what he had done up to that point before he got that promise? Think about it for a sec. What had he done to get that promise? If you come up with a blank, that's because there's a blank. Nothing. He had done nothing. He hadn't even moved 
Canaan. Nothing. He got this promise before he did anything. Why did God choose Abram? We have no idea. Why did God choose me? Why did God choose you? Did you do anything to get picked? Not a thing. In fact, he came from a family of, well, if he was among the Chaldean people, probably his culture was worshiping the moon, worshiping created things. I don't know that he participated in that. I don't really think he did, especially after he got this visit from God. And I don't know in what form God showed up to him, but God picked Abraham for no accomplishment on Abram's part, no goodness, no special quality on Abram's part, nothing. He hadn't done a thing. In fact, what's really odd is that he was the youngest, I think, of three sons. His father, Terah, moved the family from where they lived in this place in southern, well, it's kind of southern Arabia today, but they, they moved north. Now, they were supposed to go, Tara and his family, if you read this earlier in Genesis, for those of you who maybe haven't studied Genesis for a while, I had to review all this myself. But, okay, so I think maybe Abraham was the one that got the idea they were supposed to go to Canaan. We don't know. All it says is that Tara after the death of his son, Haran, moved the family on their way. They were going to Canaan. But did they go to Canaan? Did they go? No, they, they, they moved. They did move, but they stopped and they settled. And they settled in a place that was named after the son who died, Haran or however it's pronounced. I do not have Hebrew pronunciation lessons, so bear with me. So they stayed in this place. They settled, and everything was going great and wonderful. You know, this good life. We got everything we need. Things are going well. And then God says, Abram, wasn't Abraham yet, Abram, I want you to do something. I want you to go to this place. And by the way, This is what I'm promising to do for you. So he hadn't even picked up and moved yet when God made the promise. So he can't take any credit for that. And notice he picked up his family, his wife, his his nephew, family, and moved to this place called Canaan. We don't know much about it except that other people were living there. It was really a lovely land once upon a time so he just knew he was supposed to go to this place and he didn't get a whole lot more instruction than that but he went now I have a question for you if someone if someone wrote you a check for let me, let me use an example, because this happened for us. A check came to our house this Christmas 
for $100,000. It wasn't for us, I'm glad to say. I'm telling you, I wouldn't, I, you know, I don't know that God would trust me for, with that check for 100000 Anyway, it was made out, of course, to the ministry that my husband and I uh, founded years ago. And so now, now when we saw the check for 100000 that's a that's a goodly amount of money. Not everybody can write that kind of check. And did we go, hmm, I wonder if this check's going to be good when we go to the bank. Did we? Now, we might have if we had not known the name that was on the check. But we knew the name of the person on that check. And we knew that that couple had the capacity to give that check. So we happily delivered it to our office and it went straight into the bank and that paid some salaries. So praise God for that. That, But we, we knew the check was good because we knew who wrote it. Think about Abram. Why did he, why would he trust this promise, this incredible promise that God gave? How could he have trusted God so much? I think we have living proof of Romans chapter 1 and 2. Remember what we read about the, the people that why the, the reason why people are without an excuse. Why are people without an excuse for knowing God? Because God says, what can be known about me is made plain through what I have made. Now, something that Abram discovered in his life Then this face-to-face encounter, that gave him the capacity, the gift of trust to move forward. And he moved because he believed that the person who made the promise was good for it. He was good for it. Okay. So we've talked about when he got the promise. When do we get the promise? Do we get the promise of eternal life and freedom from sin and self-blessedness and all the great things God has in store for us before we do anything to please him or after we do clean up our act and get good? We get it before. We haven't done anything to earn God's gift, his promise. Nothing we've done up to that point of embracing that promise is is earned. And that's why this chapter, you probably saw it, it uses some banking terms. That's probably why I used the check analogy. There's some banking terms here. He said, when Abraham believed God, God said, that's what 
I wanted to see. He accepted the gift. He didn't get, okay, so the gift was in the bank. And in God's bank, there's no default. There's no way it's going to be dissipated. It's not like the stock market. It grows like this, and it can go up, it can go down. It stays there. So Abraham, Abram, later Abraham, gets this promise, and he gets it not because he's earned it. If you have anything in the bank that you've earned, well, good for you. You earned it. You worked for it. And you don't go to the bank and say, thank you for giving me my money. No, you put it there. It's yours. But if you have a line of credit, you can spend money you don't have. <laughs> he's, he's given credit. And he's given credit for being righteous. Isn't that awesome? He's, he's given credit for being without sin, for being right, for, ha- for having right standing before God. And he's given it on credit. And guess what? We don't have the promise yet either. We have part of it. We have the Holy Spirit in us, with us, among us. We have God's presence with us. But do we have heaven yet? We're not there yet. There's so much more to come. And we have that on credit, that's credit. It's ours to anticipate, and nothing can take that away. So I think here's the struggle. We are conditioned by our culture, by our own life experience, to think that everything we have is because we earned it and we deserved it. <laughs> and I was just thinking, uh, we live in the age of... of uh, you know, where, where people are worried about giving great any, anything on merit. Everybody has to know that their self-worth, that they deserve their self-worth, right? So I remember in high school, there was an awards assembly, and my sons were like, we don't want to go. I'm like, what? Why don't you want to go? Mom, Dad, everybody gets a reward just for showing up. You know, what is that? So... Uh, we, we're conditioned that, you know, we, we have to show that we're worth something. We're worth something because we've earned something. We've proved ourselves. We've showed up, right? That's not the way it is with God. That's not it, the way it is with our standing before God. What do people tend to count on? Let's face it, human nature, and we'll talk about this a lot more when we get to chapter 7, this battle between human nature and spiritual reality. Okay, a lot of, what were the Jews, what were the Jews counting on? What were the Jews counting on for their salvation? You heard it again and again. They, They were counting on the fact that, hey, we're, Sons of Abraham, because we got we got circumcised. Well, at least the guys did. Um, the women, I'm not sure how secure they felt. Um, so, but the idea is they they you know we've been given the law. What a joke! They didn't even keep the law. In fact, that was the whole point of the law was to show them you could do nothing. In fact, you knew trouble was coming when after giving the law. 
Moses, you know, the law is read and it's a big deal to read that whole law. And at the end, the people said, we can do it. And Moses said, wait a minute. <laughs> wait, or do you say, we can do it. Go back and, and read that passage where the people of Israel claim we can keep the law. And God, I'm sure God's like, oh, boy, oh, boy. <laughs> so, I mean, look at your own life. Are you able, even with the power of the Holy Spirit, let's face it, do we live perfectly? Do we perfectly love? Are we perfectly selfless and generous and all those things? No, no. And does our baptism say this? Because they were counting on circumcision. They were counting on the fact that they were part of Abraham's lineage. What do Christians often count on in certain circles and not just outside the evangelical circles, but even in our human nature, many people will say, well, I was baptized. I was baptized. So, but what was circumcision and what's baptism? Those are not things that save us. They're signs. They're signs. In fact, you have scripture first. I think it's first Peter that talks about this baptism of water. This is a symbol of what God did when he baptized you, dipped you into, and filled you with his Holy Spirit. So don't count on your baptism. I know too many people counting on their baptism. Count on the fact that it's a symbol of something real. And only if it's a symbol of something real does it count for anything. Now, here's the really hard one to grasp. This is the point, and I'm guessing, I want you to have discussions about this in your small groups this morning, because this is the point that's the hardest to grasp. We want to take credit for having faith. Well, that guy was baptized, but he didn't have faith. I've got faith. I put my faith in Christ. Yay for me. You know what? Have you read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? For by grace are you saved. Are you rescued? Are by grace are you saved? Through faith. Good. You're with me? Yes. Read the next line. That faith did not come from you. My faith did not come from me. It was a gift from God. So God doesn't owe me. Thanks for putting your faith in me. I'm going to reward you because you did that. No. We say thank you, God, for the gift of faith that somehow we were able by his power to exercise. Now, this reminds me of an, of an old hymn. This goes so far back. I was a child the last time I heard it sung. So some of you have never heard this. But if you have, you, you've, you'll remember a song called Love Lifted Me. 
Have you ever heard that one, a hymn? I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the waves waves, heard my despairing cry and from the water lifted me. Now safe am I. Think about this picture. We are drowning. We cannot keep the law. We cannot live by in all day, all day long, obedient, listening to God and doing everything he commands, loving perfectly, selflessly, all those things we want to be like Christ. And I hope we are all growing in those capacities every day, just purely out of things. But notice, we got pulled out. Even uh, Billy, we're sinking. Who gave us the power even to lift up a hand to be grabbed out of this drowning position? Did the, did the rescuer say, oh, thank you for sticking your hand up. That was great. No, it's like, thank you for grabbing my hand. There's no credit for us. None. So, Do you understand the freedom that that brings us? I know some people are afraid of that freedom. They're afraid that if we have that freedom, give people too much freedom, they might think it's just okay to start sinning again, you know? Yeah, I grew up with that. And actually, I I read a book by Phil Yancey on, on grace and I I showed it to to someone that I care about, and that person looked at it and started reading it, gave it back. No, that's too dangerous. I'm like, what? (laughs) What? It's not too dangerous, because when you really are rescued, and you know you've been rescued, All you can do is give thanks and draw closer and closer to the one who rescued you. Now, there are days when you don't. Okay, that's that's true. But we all want to. There's a want that even that want comes from God that he's put within you. It's the grace of God at work in us, the gift of God at work in us that even draws us to want to draw nearer to him. So even that is a gift. So we can't even take credit for anything that has to do with our salvation. It is strictly by faith, and even the faith is a gift. Now, here's a a concept that I think is clarified in this chapter as well, and that's that if we think that anything we do earns us the salvation, the gift of God, the promises of God, we have just insulted the cross. We have insulted the work of Christ. Because if we could save ourselves, do anything to earn God's favor, 
we have just said, well, you know, that really nullifies the value, the sacrifice that Jesus offered on our behalf. And now that I cannot imagine a greater insult. And I want you to think about that without knowing it. A large number of people in this world are insulting the cross of Christ. Now, many of them have no concept. There was that really interesting verse in here that says where there's no law, there's no transgression. That means there's not even an awareness of sin. And I hate to say it, but we live in a culture right now that is so convinced, so convinced that people are fundamentally good and deserving of heaven, deserving of all that heaven represents that even evangelical Christians are starting to believe that. Uh, a survey, I was mentioning this to the, to the leaders group. I read a survey that really buckled my knees last week. It was by Lifeway Research and Ligonier Ministries. It was a survey of beliefs, fundamental beliefs, basic beliefs, like what is our salvation based on? It was a survey among evangelicals, people who say that it's important to share the good news. We are the people of the good news, right? Even among that group of people, almost two-thirds, actually it was slightly over two-thirds, definitely too many thought that it didn't really matter if you were Christian or Jewish or Muslim, as long as you had faith in God, you're okay. You're going to be fine. I'm like, what? What are we learning? What are we teaching? What are we absorbing? How is it that so many who name the name of Christ and say we want people to become Christians actually think, well, you know, they, they don't even comprehend that they're insulting the cross of Christ when they do that. So praise God that Jesus said on the cross, God forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. But we really do have no excuse. We, we just need to grasp this concept. So now let's, let's get on to the really good good news here. The the best news of this whole chapter to me is in that, or or the most practical. I love the fact that God brings Abraham. We need practical examples, okay? So Abraham, the way this chapter ends is just so good for us. It's so good for us because it says, against all hope, Abraham believed Against all hope in, let's clarify here, all hope in himself. He looked at his body. He was a realist, okay? And that's one of the wonderful things that faith allows us to be. When we realize that we are saved by grace, everything is a gift. Even our faith is a gift. We can be realistic about ourselves, our our limitations, our capacities, and we can have a whole new dimension of trusting God because 
Abraham looked at his body. He said, hmm, God says I'm going to have a child. I am 99 years old. Sarah here is, well, she's getting pretty old too. And she's wanted to have a, a child since she was in her teens or 20s. And she's barren. This is crazy. This, How could we possibly, in a physical sense, how could we possibly have a child? Now, he faced reality. He said to himself, if this is up to me, and this is what we all need to say to ourselves, is if this is up to me, I'm hopeless. I'm toast, you know, just gone. He knew something. In fact, this is really interesting. He said, he is our, Abraham is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. Here's the God he believed in. The God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. In other words, he calls things into existence out of nothing. Now, where did he learn those two truths? Now, I would say those are the two most important points that we learn from observing creation. And that's why understanding what God did in creation is so important. Two things he learned from creation. It says here, he gives life to dead things. Do you know that the most brilliant minds in the world have devoted decades, decades, and billions of dollars trying to figure out how life came from non-life? You know, the, the primordial soup theory is some, you, did you ever learn about primordial soup that somehow there was this pond and, and, you know, well, here's what they've learned. And this is, I get this from the fact that, that a couple of scientists I know, including my husband, have gone to these origin of life conferences that are held every three years. They have to hold them every three years because it'd be way too discouraging to hold them every year. But every three years, the people there are more depressed. There's more hopelessness because they've learned that there's no time for the soup. Oh, and then there's no soup. Oh, no, no time, no soup. We've got a problem. So maybe, you know what they're talking about now? Maybe aliens from outer space dropped it in on us. Come on. (laughs) That doesn't, well, anyway, I won't won't judge them because if I didn't know Christ, I might think something that crazy. But, but, But Abraham realized that if there's life, somebody had to put it here. And then why is there anything at all? Why is there something instead of nothing? Is there any way to explain the existence of the universe? Anything? What caused the universe? 
It's an effect. It's an effect. So what's the cause? We know cause and effect. It governs everything. So Abraham was rational. He was just plain rational. He knew that God made something from nothing. And he knew that God brought life from something dead. Guess what? Those are the things that we need to believe to follow Jesus now. The resurrection, that's a stumbling block for people. But God brings life from that which is dead. So even without knowing Christ personally, he knew a couple of the basics of the gospel. And of course, later on in the gospel, we understand in in Galatians and a couple of other places. In fact, Jesus himself speaks. Remember, he's arguing with the Pharisees when, you know, we're, we're sons of Abraham. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. And they're like, whoa, wait a minute. And he said, Abraham saw my day and believed. So I have a feeling that the implication there, and it's, 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 also referred to, and I'm sure it's Galatians and maybe a couple of other places, that when God spoke to Abraham and gave him the promise, he probably gave him a few more details even than we know about, because who was there to record the conversation, right? But, you know, there's more information that he had that he got by faith, not by his brilliance, but by faith. He understood this promise. So, He looked at himself, he looked at his wife, he said, we're hopeless, but I believe, I trust God's going to do this. And he didn't even have the power to trust. The scripture says, this is my, one of my final points here. He, God strengthened his faith. God gave him a boost of faith so that he could believe that what God promised would happen. And of course he acted upon it. Okay. So that was my first big discovery this week that the gospel is in the old Testament and don't ever let anyone tell you it's not its fulfillment came later. In fact, we're all still as Abraham's children were all still waiting for that promise to be completely, completely fulfilled. And we even believe it based on what he's given us. So my second discovery this week came from reading a passage that's embedded in our text. If, if you remember having read the chapter, there's one little section that's quoted from the book of Psalms, David speaking. And David says, now take this in, please take this in. He says in the second verse, I'll just, well, I'll read the whole thing. Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins, plural, are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person whose sin the Lord will never count 
against him or her. Do you grasp what that means? Do you grasp the the hat? You know what? It's really interesting. The word blessed, there are two Hebrew words for blessed. One, barak, barak, I can't, yeah, I told you, I can't pronounce Hebrew, but there's a wonderful in it. That's, that's blessed in the spiritual riches sense. There's another word, blessed, and that's asher. And in the Psalm 32, the word there is asher, blessed. And you know what it means? It means happy, happy, really, really happy. Are we Christians known for our happiness, for our hope, for our delight in life? If not, why not? When I started to grasp this concept in a new way this week. It came in a very peculiar way. Uh, one of my, my sons is a, a real animal lover and such an animal lover that um, he, he now, he lives in San Diego. So you can imagine where an animal lover spends at least some of his free time. Now, this is the kid I never knew at all years growing up. I have one son that was very easy to buy gifts for because I always, he made clear what he wanted. The other son, I could never guess. And I was usually wrong. But this year, now he's in his 30s, right? This year, I gave him the right gift for the first time. It's a gift he uses all the time, and it's a membership in the San Diego Zoo so that he can go anytime he wants. He only lives like five minutes away from there. So he called, he calls now, which is interesting, to say, oh, you, I, I got some pictures for you. And he, and he sends me photos. He's taking his camera and he's taking photos of the animals. He is getting so much joy out of this. This past week, it was the red pandas. I don't know if you've ever seen red pandas, but they're the cutest self. I mean, they are so cute. They make you smile. Do you know what's so fun about watching animals? It is fun. I hope you have had that experience because when you're watching animals, you are watching innocent creatures at play. They are innocent animals that have never Sin. Their sin, if it did exist, was, is covered. It's just not there. Do you realize, this is what got me happy this week. I realized that when God looks at me, he looks at me the way my son looks at those animals. It's like, he doesn't look at me and like, oh, now, Kathy, she's just not trusting me again today. You know, he looks at me and no, he's invested in my life enough to know that I need training, discipline, all those things. It's there. It's part of it. But, but he doesn't offer that training, that discipline out of disgust or out of, 
He offers it out of the pure joy of the love that he has for us in Christ, because we're in Christ. Christ covers us with his righteousness. Can you get it? If you get that, you will be different. Even my husband noticed that this last week or so since discovering this point, it's made a difference in the way I treat myself. It's made a difference in the way I treat him. It's made a difference in the way I interact with people at work. It's not new. I've had this knowledge, but I discovered it in a new depth this week. And so all I want to share today, all I want you to take away from here today is that same sense, that reality of well, how God sees you when you believe him, when you believe his promise. Do you know that we all admire Abraham and David? Abraham was a friend of God. Scripture says so. He's called a friend of God. David, you know this. He's called a man after God's own heart. If we believe the way they believed, and I'm convinced that you do, you can walk away from here today or into your group, pardon me, walk into your group today and say, you know what? I'm a friend of God. I'm a woman after God's own heart. Because I believe, why? Because you did anything? Because you were so good? You were special. Yeah, it's only because he said, I made you that way. I'm calling you that. That's what I gave you. I gave you friendship with me. I made you after my own heart. So if you can grasp that truth and take it in and let it soak in like tea bags soaks in hot water, just, just take it in and let let the Lord God, in the name of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit, transform you today and for the rest of your life. And let's keep reminding each other of these truths because we forget. Okay, we forget. So when you see each other on Sundays, hey, friend of God, <laughs> hey, friend after God, woman after God's own heart. Just keep reminding each other of those things so that we can keep this hope alive, this happiness we have. We want to be known as the happiest people on the face of the earth, the most hopeful people on the face of the earth, the most joyful people, the freest people on the face of the earth. If we live that, can you imagine the the transformation that could take place around us? That's our challenge. Let's do it. Amen? Amen. Amen.